Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a hotshot LA ad executive called Sam Foster, whose life has turned upside down when I, his identical twin sister, turn up uninvited to his family's Thanksgiving dinner. I then proceed to embarrass Sam in front of all his guests by being loud, obnoxious and flatulent. He wants me to leave, but I can't take a hint and invite myself to stay until Hanukkah. Meanwhile, Sam's boss wants him to get Al Pacino to appear in a Dunkin' Donuts commercial. This mandate seems hopelessly unattainable until Al meets me and finds me inexplicably very attractive. And, oh, wait a second. Nope. Uh, yeah, that's Jack and Jill. That's the uh, plot of the 2011 film Jack and Jill with Adam Sandler. Wonderful film. Uh, this is, in fact, just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Dan Moran, and joining me is my put-upon, overachieving twin, Sam Foster. Hey! Uh, this, episode, <laughs> this episode is all about a pair of unlikely superhero movies, one of which somehow managed to get into cinemas. Ant-Man, the story of a man who can shrink to the size of an ant and through unrelated means speak to ants and make them do what he wants. And The Death of Superman Lives, the documentary about the Tim Burton film starring Nicolas Cage as Superman, which for some reason, some bizarre reason no one can possibly fathom, was never made. We also discussed the thrilling musician who could have played Jar Jar Binks, Hollywood's latest attempts <laughs> to make a risk-free buck through ransacking its own back catalogue and googling what kids like now, and those rarest of beasts, franchises that get better as they go along. Finally, I'll be taking Danny through my intensive fitness regime, how to get 300 fast and furious abs of steel, the Hercules way, in a shouty but informative segment that Katie assures me is sufficiently grounded in solid science to merit being in the final edit of this podcast. I hope you're looking forward to it, Danny. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> So we've just been inundated 
with correspondence this Danny, week. you've done a great job on the on the Film Chat Facebook page this week. I've been posting, I've posted two things. you posted two interesting, thought-provoking things that's got people talking. That's exactly the sort of thing you should be doing. Yeah. It's going to be Film Chat BuzzFeed from now on. Um, but I'm not, I'm not as good at that. <laughs> um, first of all, Danny posted a fascinating comment. Yeah, I've got this film theory, uh, which I'm refining over time. But I was, my original theory was that all famous black actors either play boxers or in, or in boxing movies. And I had a lot of evidence to back that up. Since then, I've had to refine that to African-American actors play boxers or in boxing movies. And now I've had to cut out the comedians because Chris Rock hasn't been in a boxing movie. Too many black comedians not in boxing films. Richard Pryor wasn't in a boxing film. But at the same time, there's a couple of a couple of anom- anomalies to ruin my theory. Yeah, but Eddie Murphy is in a boxing film. He's in a boxing so film. So you'd have to cut one of the positive examples out. Yeah. But Don Cheadle isn't in a boxing film. What is this movie, I Spy, by the way? This is the That's 2002. Owen Wilson film where he's a spy and he, uh, the, for reasons that I forget, Eddie Murphy's a boxer who's going to has to get like infiltrate a place and he's the only guy who can get in because of his celebrity thing. Oh, okay, okay. It's really bad. Yeah, there's a few movies here I hadn't heard about. How did you investigate this theory, Danny? Were you, did you start Googling the names of um, black actors and seeing if they're in boxing films? I don't know, it just occurred to me. I think it's because I saw the Southpaw trailer and Forrest Whitaker's in it. Oh, yeah. And my theory is, this is like, there's very little research that's really gone to this. But uh, boxing is a sport which is dominated by black athletes and boxing movies are popular so they provide roles for black actors and there's not that many compared to white roles. There's not many black roles. So I think it's like a Freakonomics thing, you know, like boxing's popular, black people are boxers. And black people, they don't get enough variety in their roles. Yeah. And there's probably just not that many um, high profile black actors by comparison. Yeah. With white ones. But Don Cheadle and Lawrence Fishburne haven't been in boxing films, so if they could make one fairly soon, that would really help out my theory. Well, you know? Callum Russell suggests his pitch for the next great boxing film is Jaden Smith, the son of Will Smith, and coach Lawrence Fishburne versus Quaventione Wallace and coach Queen Latifah in a gritty take on the underground mixed-gender child boxing world. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. Do you know what would be even better, though? Yeah. Get Jaden and Willow, put them in a ring. One of them can come out alive. <laughs> <laughs> Are we talking about a film or is this just what you'd like to do with them? Yeah, film. And then get like Will Will Smith on one side and Jada Pinkett Smith on the other mm. coaching one coaching child each. one. So they each pick whichever child's their favourite. Yeah. They've all, everyone has one, right? Yeah. Parents, they've got to have and a favourite. And then they make them fight to the death. Yes, that sounds good. That sounds brilliant. Especially if they're all playing themselves. <laughs> and it's like a dystopian future. You know in dystopias, people are always having to fight to the death for the entertainment of the masses? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it's just a near future, and then the children of celebrities have to fight to the death. You know, why not? He loves dystopian futures. Yeah. Will Smith. Yeah. Legend. After, After Earth. Earth. Yeah. Um, uh, iRobot. iRobot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Idris Elba is another one, but that's why you refined it to, yeah, as James Andrews points out. Um, and Richard Plummer, a year old art teacher, Danny, you know, yeah. ran into the other day <laughs> and asked to um, asked to comment more on film chat. Uh, said Lenny Henry. I don't know if he's a prominent actor though. Is he? He's really best known as a comedian and um, well, exactly advertiser of Premier Inn. I mean, yeah, no comedians turn actors. Yeah. The other thing that was um, a buzz on film chat this week was. Um, another question of yours, Danny. Are there any franchises where every installment is superior to the previous one? Maybe born if you discount Legacy. 
Which everyone does. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I yeah. think everyone wants to forget legacy as rapidly as possible. <sighs> Even Jeremy Reynolds to forget legacy. Yeah. He was his biggest fan because <laughs> he was in it. Yeah. Christophe Pierre Young, as he likes to be referred to, came up with the brilliant suggestion, the Airbud series, which we're all familiar with. Mm. So obviously Airbud. Previously mentioned on Film Chat. Airbud's great, but it's the lesser of the Airbuds. Then obviously taught by Airbud, Golden Trever. I mean, even that was surpassed by Airbud World Pup. And that just pales in comparison to Airbud's seventh inning fetch. Seventh, seventh inning, inning fetch. fetch. Oh, it's like seventh inning catch. Oh, right. They've all got, but that, that was better in American accent. Even seventh inning fetch is nothing compared to Airbud spikes back. <laughs> so. <laughs> the puns in these titles are really fantastic, aren't they? Yeah. Steph Mildner, who may have the distinction of being um, one of the few film chat listeners who we don't know personally and isn't a close and dear friend of ours. If you are listening to Film Chat and you don't know Danny or I or Katie personally, then we would love to hear from you. Yeah, super excited by this comment. We try to give the impression that we are a heavily established professional (laughs) outfit with legions of fans. Um, But as a matter of fact, it's really more of a bedroom, our friends type operation. And uh, we're delighted to hear from anyone who um, we don't know. Not that the comments from people that we know are unwelcome because we like those as well. But they're less welcome. But they are less welcome, so that's why Steph's is the comment of the week. Thank you, Steph. He says, The Bourne Identity is by far the best Bourne film, by the way, before all that shaky cam nonsense in the sequels. Nevertheless, although your premise is incorrect, (laughs) Babe Pig in the City is an underrated masterpiece and is better than the still superb Babe. The Madagascar films got successively better with each installment, from the crappy Madagascar 1 to the superb Madagascar 3. Keep up the great work on your show. You should definitely set up a Patreon to support your podcast unless you are loaded and don't need any cash. On, on your second point, Steph, we are all loaded. We are <laughs> dripping. Absolutely loaded, We're Steph. all dripping with gold, Steph, and uh, <laughs> we don't need any money at all to, to run this all for the rest of our lives. So it's really, we're sort of landed gentry type, um, type <laughs> podcast people. <laughs> yeah. Let's a, just say our grandma's on the... It's a highly the, aristocratic <laughs> business. Our grandma's on the coins. Let's just say that. <laughs> Danny, have you seen any of the Madagascar films? No, but I have seen a really funny bit where uh, Chris Rock is the zebra, pretends to be like a sort of clown zebra, and there's a little dance in the third film. But that's in the third one. Yeah, which, that, yeah. so that may be lost. Well, it sounds so. like a pinnacle to me. Yeah. Uh, what about Babe? I've seen the first Babe. It's pretty good. So it's kind of anthropomorphic animal films. They're more, most likely to get better as they go along? Maybe he's, yeah, I think maybe he's under something with the... Uh, if it's, like, not that good to begin with, mm. you know. I see what you mean. You've you got something to build on. Something to go to. Yeah. Joe McCormick suggests the Dollars Trilogy, which is the uh, Clint Eastwood series about the man with no name, um, Fistful of Dollars, a few dollars more, and The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, which is a cool suggestion because The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is the best known of the three, which is unusual, right? Yeah. Um, it's the only one that I've seen, so I can't comment. I think that's it. definitely the best one. I would say the uh, for a Fistful of Dollars is better than for a few dollars more. A Fistful of Dollars, I think, is good because it's basically like a remake of Yojimbo, which is like a really good movie to begin with. And the second one is a bit kind of sprawling and there's a lot of uh, random scenes of the guy like smoking weed. It's quite, it's, it's kind of funny, like the script writer for like smoking cannabis just makes you insane. So like there's, the villain is like smoking weed and like tripping out. Oh, and, like, is it part of that kind of 20th century anti-cannabis <laughs> yeah, like, propaganda thing? Yeah, like madness sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. Um, anyway. If you have any further ideas as this for franchises that get better as they go along, let us know. Write in and let us know. Write in and let us know! 
Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's fit to print. News time. News time. I've got the first bit of news. A new version of Logan's Run is in the works. Hooray. Uh, Logan's Run. <laughs> Hooray is the response they're looking for, Sam. <laughs> Your finger is on the pulse of the nation. Uh, Logan's Run is this uh, 70s uh, camp sci-fi film where Michael York, who's probably best known as Basil Exposition from Austin Powers movies now, uh, lives in a dystopian society where when you turn first, you just get killed. And people who try and escape their punishment are called runners and the Sandmen, and uh, they're like the police force, track you down and kill you if you uh, try and escape from Do being they bury killed. You? Do they bury you in sand? No, I think you? it's because it's like time, like I'm a sand, I'm the Sandman oh, sort I see. of thing. It's not like sand-related punishments or like they're not made <laughs> of sand or something like that. I don't think so. Okay. And uh, Michael York is like Logan... I forget what happens, but basically he goes on the run. He turns 30. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's something like there's some conspiracy and he has to escape the city and shit happens. Is the final scene him triumphantly blowing out the candles on a cake with 31 <laughs> candles on it? Yes. <laughs> it's amazing how I can predict these things having not seen the film. So they're making a new one. They're making a new one, which this has been in development for a while. Writers and directors, including Alex Garland, Christopher McQuarrie, Brian Singer, and Nicholas Winding Refner have uh, been attached at various points in production. Nicholas Winding Refner one got a bit of traction because Gosling was going to be in it and Rose Byrne as the two leads. That sounds cool. Which would have been great. Love Rose Byrne. And I think that would have been a good choice because it's not a particularly deep or interesting or cerebral film. It's just like a chase movie and uh, with lots of like very 70s production design and everyone's wearing, you know, capes for no reason. You can see why they wanted to call Refn, can't yeah, you? Yeah, and like yeah. he's such a stylist that like his vision of it would have been cool, like just a sci-fi Nicholas yeah. Winding Refn. The director of Drive, just in case anyone didn't know. Precisely. Um, so it's got a bit of traction recently because Simon Kinberg, who is a producer, writer, responsible, uh, is mainly involved in like, the new X-Men franchise. He wrote Days of Future Past. Yeah. And he's and also involved in the Star Wars universe. So he's just... A, and the new Fantastic Four as well. He's got his fingers in that. He's just got his fingers in all the nerd pies. Yeah. He's nerd pie man. If you're a nerd, you can't eat pie without tasting Simon Kinberg's fingers <laughs> at the moment. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Anyway, that'd be interesting to see how it pans out. Maybe it's extra relevant, you know, given government's cuts to uh, child tax credits if you have more than two children. Yeah. You know, they're tackling overpopulation amongst the poor and impoverished right now, so... Exactly. Yeah. It's probably th- going to be super political, the new version. Get Ken Loach to make it. Yeah. Get Loach on the case. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, guys, we've had a lot of uh, interesting um, ideas that have been turned into movies recently. When they announced the Lego movie, they didn't think that was going to pan out, but it turned out to be brilliant. And so that means that now they're now thinking every bad idea can be turned into a great <laughs> film, right? Yeah, sure, why not? And um, they've made a bunch of board games into movies before. Like they had that Ouija, Ouija board um, movie that came out, and they're making a Monopoly film. And now they're expanding into even more abstract, non-pot-related <laughs> things than board games. And so we're going to see, perhaps, an emoji film uh, produced yeah. by Sony. You, you're familiar with emoji, right, Danny? I use they're, them all the time. They're little animated, um, sometimes I send them yellow to you faces. All the time. When yeah, you're coming round. I'll be in 15 minutes. Smiley face. Yeah. Actually, my planes, my planes delayed. <laughs> <laughs> Unhappy face. <laughs> it comes up a lot. Yeah. Yeah. 
Or, you know, if I'm feeling fond of you, I'll just send you a sort of a Facebook image of a monkey swinging <laughs> from a tree covered in hearts. Yeah. And that kind of thing. You send me something I don't like. I just send you like a little a bit of poop with like a fly on it. Yeah. And every time I see that, I'm like, wow, this is cinematic. Yeah. This text. So um, Sony picked up on that. And um, here is what Empire said about it. Sony Picture Animation won a bidding war for a pitch by director Anthony Leon- Leondis, who travelled between the studios with a batch of storyboards showing how the basic plot will play out. I, I wish I'd been in those meetings. Sony <laughs> nabbed the project, and Eric Siegel is aboard to turn the idea into a script for an animated adventure. So that is really all they say about it. I mean, it's like, what? That still tells you nothing. They're turning it into a film. This guy's involved. How will it be a story? Who knows? Do you reckon that guy just, like, went to see Inside Out and, like, left the cinema is like, okay, so just instead of emotions, just faces. Emo- emojis? <laughs> emojis? Yeah. So. Or maybe he went to see Minions and he was like, li- little yellow things with bobbly eyes? Yeah. <laughs> just with a double bill of Minions and Inside Out. And he's like, guys, got can, across the two. I can make you about $6 billion. What if the Minions had feelings? <laughs> yeah. We can also look forward to a movie about Angry Birds from Sony. So it's all these little <laughs> cute things that don't look like films being made into films. Can't wait. I really hope that one uh, makes it into cinemas. Oh, me too. Other nerdy things that don't sound like movies coming to movies. A Minecraft movie is in development. Have you ever played Minecraft? You play Minecraft, Katie? No. You play Minecraft, Danny? No. Play Minecraft? I'm too busy, uh, you know, getting drunk and uh, getting laid and stuff. Chicks yeah. And <laughs> time for Minecraft. Banging 20 gram rocks and uh, all that kind of thing. Oh, oh, oh God. <laughs> yeah. You got Tiger Blood, which is, if yeah. you. Yeah, it's not for. I'm on Minecraft a drug and it's called Danny Moran. Kills most people, but. <laughs> So for people that don't live life quite as quickly as you, <laughs> Minecraft is a very popular video game. It's very blocky, pixely, doesn't have all the fancy graphics you might expect from video games now. And you're in an open, procedurally generated world of blocks and you can knock them down and build them into build them into a house and you can kind of do anything. And at nighttime, zombies come out and try to kill you. So it's a kind of adorable children's universe, but it's actually quite terrifying um, <laughs> <laughs> to be left alone in. Sure. It's an unbelievably popular thing. It's made by a very tiny studio, a bunch of random people that just caught on and like a million people bought it and made them all incredibly rich. It's very popular with kids and stuff like that. And it's cool. I like it. So Warner Brothers bought the rights for this movie back in February last year. And the director of Night at the Museum, Sean Levy, was hired to uh, take it on. He's well, an absolute auteur, that man. He made Real Steel, right? He turned that boxing uh, <laughs> board game sort of concept into a oh, film. Oh, yeah, you're right. So... Yeah. <laughs> He can make anything in anything, right? Well, he can, but unfortunately he's departed the project. Um, and now it's a gentleman called Rob McElhenney. McElhenney, it's not a name I've said before, but he's a creator of all, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, that and, Danny DeVito. And um, the son of Ian McKellen, right? Rob McElhenney. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. sort of Ian McElhenney. <laughs> he has never directed a film. He has no experience with big animated stories. Well, yeah. But he does love Minecraft, and he's, he's directed TV shows. Well, Tarantino hadn't directed a film, so he made Reservoir Dogs, you know. Exactly, so, so. it's clear that anyone who hasn't directed a film before <laughs> could be great at could it. Could be a genius. Yeah. So we're not, you know, that's one's in very early stages, but... Um, it's interesting. If you like your movies unobvious um, <laughs> as concepts, then that's something to look Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Forty. <laughs> I do. Okay, um, final bit of news. Uh, I have to thank Sam Casey for sending this news our way. Thank you, Sam Casey. Thank you, Sam Casey. It's that um, apparently Michael Jackson wanted to play Jar Jar Binks in Star Wars The Phantom Menace. The actor who actually played him, uh, uh, Ahmed Best, told the story recently that he was at uh, backstage at a Michael Jackson concert with George Lucas and Natalie Portman, and George Lucas introduced... Uh, him to Michael Jackson as this as Jar Jar. This is Jar Jar, and then when later he says like, "Why the hell did you call me Jar Jar?" He's my name's like, Ahmed George. Why, why'd you introduce me as Jar Jar? <laughs> Ahmed. I know my performance is really good, but I'm a real person. But Ahmed. George. Ahmed. And it's apparently uh, it's because Michael Jackson wanted to play Jar Jar with prosthetics, like sort of like the thriller video sort of thing, and uh, George Lucas fought against it. So in a rare moment of um, creative clarity from George Lucas, <laughs> he didn't do the obviously bad idea well uh, uh, yeah because michael jackson wanted george wanted it to be animated right it's all about um cgi, all about CGI yeah yeah so well, we to understand that if michael jackson had been willing to do it as an animated character george would have been like yeah fine you've Maybe. got the correct squeaky voice to my character you're perfect there's a story of like because um michael jackson got a cameo in men in black 2 He's like on one of the screens at one point. Like oh, yeah. He's an alien. Oh yeah, and apparently yeah. he insisted on being with it because it's like a Sony film, and he was on like on Sony. And he's like, I'm not gonna release my new album until you put me in Men in Black Two. So they had to like write in this little scene. That's funny. Yeah, are we to understand from this that Michael Jackson and George Lucas are friends, and George sent him the script for um, uh, whatever stupid film is called, Phantom Menace. <laughs> Phantom Menace. And, Mike, and Michael Jackson read it and was like, wow, this is really, this is brilliant. And the best character in this incredible script is this Jar Jar Binks character. I wonder if George will let me play him. I think I could do a great job. Maybe you just want to hang around with all the kids, you know. Hmm. Well, Jar Jar Binks is a bit of a sort of alien man-child, isn't he? Yeah. So maybe, maybe that's why. Maybe relate to him, you know. Yeah. Can you put some prosthetics on me to make me look like an alien child? <laughs> no, I'll be, I'll be in your film, George. No wonder George is a bit freaked out by it. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So that's something we'll never see. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ask poor? How did Danny form the judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. So... The Death of Superman Lives is a documentary all about the failed attempt to mount a Superman movie in the late 90s. It is um, directed and... Uh, I don't know, what was the document, documentary edited term? Together? Edited together by uh, this guy called John Schnepp, who is an animation director and general sort of nerd about town. Mm-hmm. Seems to know everybody. I've, I imagine he just sort of like is hanging on the wall at Comic-Con and so they yeah. take him down. Hey, it's Schnepp! <laughs> yeah. Uh, so basically, the film follows uh, Warner Brothers' attempt to make a Superman movie based on a recent successful comic book arc, The Death and Return of Superman. Tim Byrne was attached to director and Nicolas Cage has signed on to play Clark Kent Superman. Uh, there's a quite famous viral photo of Nicolas Cage in a Superman um, suit, which is sort of looking made the rounds super internet, weird. Looking yeah. very strange, like mid-blink, couldn't look slightly out of it. Yeah. And basically the story, the film documents the story behind the photo and uh, goes to all the sort of strange tangents of the development process and interviews everyone involved with it, with sadly the exception of Nick Cage, who isn't in the film. Early. That is a bit of a blow, isn't it? He's only in their archive material. Yeah, unfortunately we've only got the sound clip of... Um, uh, his reaction when he found out the film wasn't going to be made. Fuck! 
Yeah, well, we all yeah right, right, right in the middle of him watching Wreckham for a dream when that happened. Uh, anyway, so I really enjoyed this. It's very much a film made for and by nerds, mm-hmm. and has corresponding strengths and weaknesses. And uh, basically, it's exhaustively detailed. I mean, you won't leave this uh, film thinking, "Man, I wonder." I wish I knew a little bit more about a bit more about Superman Lives, but um. I would say there's not really like a sort of cohesive story to it. Does it have appeal outside the clique of people who are interested in unmade Superman projects? Yeah, I think the interesting part of the film is that it just has a general like good take on the development process of films, particularly big budget films and the years of work that goes into them and how many sort of tangents there are and different directions films take. And also it's an interesting look at the sort of state of 90s uh, studio filmmaking especially now that uh, comic book movies are just like the staples of all the studios in a, in a time where making a big budget sort of superhero movie seemed like a risk. Yeah. Whereas now it's just like, the we must make this. Do, yeah. um, but those are just sort of byproducts of the host just really want to find out what Brainiac was going to look like in this movie, you know. And uh, it's a... It doesn't really have a take on the material. It's a documentary in the sense, in a literal sense, in that it, I must document everything about this film. It doesn't really have, you know, a take that yeah. makes sense um, but there's lots to enjoy about it the actual producer of Superman Lives this guy called John Peters is a sort of hilarious ridiculous parody of a crazy producer and there's just a lot of mileage out of like his crazy ideas he's basically like this producer who thinks he's a creative genius but he surrounds himself with yes men so there's all these sort of um, concept artists saying hey like sort of come in and like pitch all these ideas and they have to draw it for him and like it's like what about a ship that's like a skull and I'm like well, okay and like so there's like drawings like endless drawings a little model they had to make all this plays this one like wacky guy and um there's also some amazing behind the scene footage of nick cage trying on the costume and like spitballing with tim burton and i think what's good about the movie is like you from that picture you think it's going to be like this ridiculous mess but their take is actually quite interesting because all the superman incarnations from like george reeve in the 50s and like Christopher Reeve and the uh, what's his name Brandon Roof Ralph and yeah. Henry Cavill are, are they all kind of like the same they're all like the sort of Boy Scout American chiseled guy and Tim Burton and Nick Cage's take was that like Superman's the ultimate outsider because that like Tim Burton's movie is all about weird outside people and the yeah. idea that he's like the alien he's like alone he's a handsome Edward Scissorhands he's a handsome yeah exactly and it's like the him talking about it it's like oh I could actually quite like to have seen that movie because like they've already made that Superman movie and they've now made it like four times yeah you know so it's like oh what could have been I'm not sure and I think the takeaway from the movie is that like it might have been good or it might have been terrible but it would have been interesting it wouldn't have been like a you know it's it's not creatively bankrupt. There's a lot of ideas in it, and um, another interesting part of the movie is like they discuss just the general idea of Superman as like an American icon and the relevance of superheroes in that they're these iconic creations which are always relevant because they've always been reinvented. So the reason they're like the film kind of pulled in three different directions is because everyone's got their own take on it and they're all kind of valid. And the sort of importance of like those kind of characters. That's why they're, you know, that's why uh, this century is hung up on characters that were invented 60 years ago. Yeah, it's kind of like, and that's kind of that's all interesting. And like, there's a lot of smart people on the film, you know. But yeah, it's like uh, it's interesting, but it's a bit, well, I don't know, all over the place. 
and uh, the host John Schnepp is like he asks good questions but he's not the most engaging of hosts and he also shoots all these interviews in wides with him in it but he doesn't say anything so just like this is a random sort of like there's guy, a guy just, he's always there he's always there like nodding Oh, yeah. And uh, it starts off with him, like, pitching the uh, the movie. It's like a sort of, um, like, a TV documentary, like, a man on a mission. Like, I'm going to find out what happened. But then that approach sort of, like, goes nowhere. And then he sort of, like, comes less and less in the movie. And then he pops up again. And it's like, he doesn't really know how to make a documentary. Yeah. Is, he, is he Adam Curtis or is he, you know... Yeah, um, exactly. But he gets by on just, like, through. his sort of um, fanboyish enthusiasm for it. It's quite endearing. And it's also, it's a little bit too long. It's like an hour and 45. And it's like, Oof. how many pictures of Brainiac's lair do I have to look at? How, <laughs> how big is this scrapbook? Yeah, it's basically like a series of quite funny and interesting anecdotes. It's not particularly cinematic. But uh, if, you're a, if you're a dork, if you're a film dork, you'll probably like it. If you're a nerd. This dork's going to love this piece of crap. <laughs> I know some of our listeners are dorks, okay? So I think this is one for the dorks. And uh, it's available on demand, like iTunes and a bunch of places. Um, yeah, so I don't know. If you saw that photo and you were like, what the hell's going on there? And you wanted an exhaustive account of what was going on, uh, it's the film for you. Okay, Ant-Man, which is the latest in uh, the ongoing, increasingly (laughs) numerous string of uh, Marvel superhero films. It's probably the second one of their risk films. You know, one of the ones that um, is from one of their more minor properties doesn't sound like such a hit to begin with um, and is a kind of relief from the, the rest of their gigantic super people beating the shit out of each other kind of movie. So it's a smaller one. Um, it's been a development for a very, very long time. Paul Rudd plays Scott Lang, who is this guy who just got out of prison um, and he's a kind of, he was like a Robin Hood type um, cat burglar, hero, hero man. Um, and Michael Douglas is this genius old grumpy scientist who recruits him to fight evil and offers him a suit um, which shrinks you to the size of an ant but you still have the strength of a grown man or something like that the science is a bit wobbly um, and uh, he also gives him a little earpiece that helps him control ants because he I don't know the guy he loves, loves ants that. anything loves ant ants. related is like you know he's happy about um, and uh yeah, and then he you know goes about shrinks, grows back up to normal size again. Spends a lot of time talking about his daughter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And yeah, it's like a heist heist movie. Yeah, well, I guess what separates it is like uh, the old professor Hank Pym, Michael Douglas, his um, company, which he's been forced out of by the evil board of directors, have are close to developing his Ant Man formula, and he doesn't. He thinks it's too dangerous for people to use. So he enlists Paul Rudd to steal back the formula from the evil exactly. Corey Stool. Yeah. So the, the, the bull guy. part of the Marvel formula involves taking an already established um, film type and doing it in a superhero way. Like the Guardians of the Galaxy is like their space opera thing. And, yeah, completely. Um, uh, so, uh, what is it? Um, the Winter Soldier is their kind of um, Cold War spy thriller version of a superhero film. Yeah, completely. And this is their superhero heist movie. And it was originally being developed by Edgar Wright, the director of Scott Pilgrim and Shaun the Dead and Hot Fuzz, for many years, kind of predating Marvel's whole plan. Um, and um, he wrote a script with Joe Cornish, and they were going to... Uh, they were going to make that one. And then just before shooting um, 
it fell through due to creative differences. I think there was Marvel probably tried to make him put one too many references into about the Avengers into his movie, and he was just like, I can't take this shit anymore. I don't care <laughs> about the Avengers. Um, and it was taken over by Peyton Reed, who's the director of Yes Man, um, and he rewrote the script with the help of Adam McKay, the writer of Anchorman. So they got two other man-men. Yep, man-men. Uh, to, to work on it. Um, and, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and Paul Rudd also... Um, also is one of the writers on the on this new version of the movie so there's been some trepidation amongst uh, geeks in the know about this because everyone was very excited for edgar wright's movie yeah. people love edgar wright and his movies are always cool and interesting and they got people who are a little blander uh, to make this one and people be a little bit worried about the results and it's kind of the a good version of what you expected it would be which is a film with some very interesting touches and um, a lot of creative stuff and a lot of cool moments but somewhat uh, blandified into a sentimental Marvel mush. Yeah, completely. Uh, with some things, with some tie-ins to their other movies which are not done in the most elegant way and, no. and don't look that great. I think, like, with um, reviewing these Marvel movies, it's like the the Marvel films are such a formula, I feel like I could you could just interchange the title for the reviews as well in that they've got similar strengths and weaknesses. They're very... Uh, patchy i feel there's always like you get there's a tangible sense that stuff is on the cutting room floor yeah and it's, it feels it's like very, it's very cut and paste yeah and like it feels like the longest part of the production is the post-production and there's always like talks of deleted scenes and alternate endings and it's like there's always a couple of moments where you just think why is this in the <laughs> film and then you realize it's probably because it tied into something else that never made it yeah i think um I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than uh, the Avengers movie. It's got, it's in many ways, it's got like an easier ride to like. You know, it's an easier movie to make. Yeah, um, it's got a simpler Avengers. structure. Simpler structure, and the heist movie is sufficiently different from their previous films in that it doesn't end with a city being destroyed. Thankfully, yeah. because giant airborne wants... threats—that's their normal thing, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, there's lots to enjoy about it. I think what well, they are really good at though is casting, and um, Paul Rudd is really good. He's so likable as an actor, and um, he takes what could be like a slightly boring character and does a lot with it. Yeah. And Michael Douglas is having a great time, uh, sort of just being Michael Douglas. I don't know. He seems to be like he seems to be just be enjoying himself. It's a very enjoyable performance. Michael Douglas is doing is doing well. He's a he's another one of those esteemed old actors who turns up in these movies to say a lot of scientific babbling pleases kids superhero bullshit. Um and uh, he sells all that stuff really well. Like, he sounds like he means it. Unlike um Robert Redford in The Winter Soldier. <laughs> We've joked about this before but he has no idea what he's doing in a superhero film. Whenever he has to say anything related to um like fantasy <laughs> fantastical superior stuff. reading it off, you know, the cards out of shot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas Michael Douglas is really committed to it and um, he's doing a great job. I yeah. think Paul Rudd's, Paul Rudd's great gift as an actor is to turn just being nice into a hilarious comedy routine. <laughs> he's just so nice. He's like turned it so far up to 11 that it just becomes really funny. There's a bit in the movie where he just offers to make people tea in just in such a nice way that you just laugh. <laughs> Um, yeah, and yeah. that's another strength of the movie is that it's got an emphasis on humour, and for the most part, the jokes land. Yeah, um, particularly in the final stretch of the movie. I think, mean, like, the, maybe I'm um, I'm sort of uh, 
quite up on this film is that the final act was really good it sags a lot in the middle but the final like half an hour they really went for it felt like they went for broke and like there's a series of like beats that work and yeah. it just like it's See, they kind of pulled all the effort into that bit yeah yeah it's got shows. a great climax i think that really helps movies a lot especially because the middle is starting to get really boring i think it's because the end like they, that's where all the money is gone and the middle they spend most of the time in michael douglas's house kind of wandering around <laughs> Uh, and chatting to each other and having a lot of dialogue and like let's do some backstory let's set up the next bit let's have an emotional beat and it's like okay okay yeah um, it reminded me a bit of um four two the dark world and that sort of had a climax where like people are this like the writer had watched portal so people are portaling about but like the best bits in it are like the joke where thor ends up on like the underground or whatever yeah and it's like those kind of jokes but there's like 50 of them yeah and yeah they, they like got a bit more confident and because maybe the tone is a bit lighter, they're like, uh, it's a bit more daring. And the whole, uh, they really mind the shrinking thing. There's a lot of very They do a lot of fun stuff with the shrinking. Scenes. There's a fight scene in a briefcase, which is really funny. Yeah. But just like the idea that like, just you scale it down and make the scale huge, but with household objects. There's a lot of mileage in that and they mine it all. You they know? also had this good idea of having these little thrown discs that either shrink things or make them huge. So there's extra opportunities for them to do funny things stuff. With, that things that are usually small. Big. Which becoming huge is funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah. It should do more stuff like that. But yeah. there's just a general um, sense of Marvel. It's like they care enough to include all those random shit and like they're trying to please all these people and they make kind of interesting choices ish. But at the same time, they're so committed to this brand. And there's just. Uh, it's like some... they can't help themselves, like take the edges off at the end. There's something so disposable about them. It's like none of these films are meant to be watched more than once in a way. It's like just. Uh, it's like they have all these post credit stings. It's like, forget what you just saw. This is the exciting thing. Yeah. It's yeah. like, it doesn't matter. And it's like. Um, I feel like they're replicating comic books a bit too much and that, like, this is tomorrow's trash. Like, forget about this issue. The next issue is going to be good, you know. And they're just episodes. They're just, you know, they spend half the time building up the next episode rather than making a satisfying film. And, yeah, and the directors always talk about how it's not just supposed to be a stepping stone. It should be a film in, in its own right. Um, but the fact that they even have to constantly say that shows you that they're under pressure to put it the other way. And they're always yeah. trying to make it a film into itself, but then they're undermining it. But, yeah. but I laughed a lot. I thought it was really funny. I laughed. I was entertained. I think it's, it's good. It's very enjoyable. As as always with Marvel, it's above average, middle of the road blockbuster fare. Basically, I think it's like I feel bad for the director, but like if I if they just made this and Edgar had never been involved and I didn't know that, I would have enjoyed it for oh that was like a really interesting there's loads of really cool new stuff but now i'm just comparing it to the much better edgar wright movie <laughs> from his films because his strengths as a filmmaker are like what marvel's weaknesses are like his films are super tightly plotted everything that happens in the first act pays off in the third act yeah, you know everything has a purpose everything has a purpose you it can't all, just cut bits it out zips and, like, along other bits there are no boring stuff. bits in edgar wright movies there are yeah. no boring scenes it's just brilliant god i love edgar wright he's so good so yeah i i, I recommend it yeah. Particularly for the end, definitely. Yeah, well, yeah. it's very likeable. It's not amazing, it's not like... But it's just, uh, it's weird enough, and there's enough weird stuff and interesting bits to surpass the sort of vaguely yeah. formulaic, you know... Um, I mean, I think I think maybe it's kind of encapsulated in the fact that the uh, there's some um, ethnic supporting characters which are, seem a little bit like lazy stereotypes, but they're just funny enough that it's okay. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Or just, Evangeline, just Lily. Gets away with it. Evangeline Lilly is the um, the love interest who is kind of a bit of a cliche and boring, but just gets just enough to do that. It's like all right, yeah, <laughs> just enough, just, <laughs> just enough. crosses the line. Yeah, so cool. yeah, go see Ant Man. Go see it. 
Omelette, omelette, which the Alfie was my dad. Curly hair, fancy watch, great located in my crotch. I'm a bloke, I'm a bloke, till I roll except his chokes. Like my lager, extra strength, keep my cubes a perfect length. Okay, and finally, James has got in touch with us again. Always love to hear from James. Yeah, um, James update. That's always going to be the final segment now. We were debating if like his previous comment was genuine, but he's written a comment that could only be written by James. It's got James stamped all over it. No man could counterfeit this kind of uh, rhythm of speech. So in response to the news about Miyazaki making a CGI film, James writes the following. What are you fucking shitting me, Miyazaki is making a CGI film? God, that angers me so much. Can I refer back to my original ever comment about how I hate CGI? As He's like punched the keypad at that point. Also, I only ever received one picture from you guys. So judging by how many more messages I send in than anyone else, I imagine no one received anything at any point. Also, yes, Film Chat to Tokyo. Or we could do the budget version and do Film Chat Karaoke? In loving memory of the real Studio Ghibli? Bet you wish you didn't beg for my outrageous comments now. I mean, outraged. Love lands. Love Lands. Lands um, is, is a, a nickname. A, a name adopted by James sometimes. Well, uh, autocorrect sometimes autocorrects James to Lance. Right? So he just calls himself so Lance. He loves, yeah, he just, he's Lance. Lance. Yeah. So only James could have written that. Yeah, and, and only someone who listened to the last episode in some detail would understand it because exactly. references all a bunch of things we mentioned. Yeah, particularly that film chat trip to Tokyo. Well, you know, this CGI film might be great. They said, you know, it's like Dylan going electric. Yeah, exactly. Miyazaki <laughs> Judas! <going CG. laughs> Film karaoke. I, I mean... I think it's a good idea. Well, you and James are in the choir, you know, you've got the pipes, but I can't yeah, we sing for shit, together. so... There's a reason you do all the jingles, Sam. <laughs> 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 this was me after six months of singing training. Sam's Opinions Sam's opinions. Sam's opinions. Sam's opinions. That was that was take twenty six. <laughs> I thought that was great. I want to hear that in the karaoke. Do you know how many singing teachers committed suicide while trying to train me to sing? How many? Nine. Wow. Gosh, yeah, you got a lot of blood on your hands there by how yeah. bad you were singing. Gave it off the tenth. The tenth was very resilient. <laughs> <laughs> but even even she couldn't teach me. Well, uh, I think it's a good idea. I well, yeah, I mean, if I, had a, I might have to have a few beers beforehand, get a bit Dutch courage. That's the whole point of karaoke, though, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. not about the great singing ability. It's just about bearing your soul on that stage. What would be your while karaoke drunk? song of choice? I don't know, actually. I d- can I just do my own? Uh, my own composition? <laughs> your own jingles. Yeah, that's, no, that's just a performance, isn't it? Uh, it's not really karaoke if it's your own song. <laughs> just want to, you just want to do a gig. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, maybe something film-related. Maybe um, uh, that one from Titanic. Um, my Heart Will Go my On. My Heart Will Go On. Maybe do that one. I don't really know how that goes, but... I want to do um, Can't Live by Harry Nelson. Ken Lee. Oh, as, Ken as, Lee. as it's known in Bulgaria. Yeah. Ken Lee. <laughs> Ken Lee. Maybe we can do it through Ken Lee. I'll, um, I'll do the coconut song that he sings at the end of Reservoir Dogs. No. Yeah. Brother bought a coconut, bought it for a day. You're showing off now, Sam. Oh, that's not a great scene performance, is it? Being able to do that. It's just like, you know. It's like showing me. It's like you just putting your dick on the table. Like how much bigger my dick is than your dick. And I'm yeah. like. Well, I would do that, but it doesn't make oh, for a great radio. Dicks and end the show. Bye. <laughs> We, well, I want to talk a lot more about our dicks, but apparently... 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. We can't. We don't have time. Sorry, listeners. Bye. Bye.